Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly, and on this episode, we're joined by Kristen Mustad and Nollis Reels. How's it going, Kristen? How are you, Marvin? Thanks for having me. I'm just trying to stay out of trouble. Before we get rolling today, I want to give a shout out to this episode's sponsor, the first fly shop in Bryson City, North Carolina, Tuckasegee Fly Shop. They also have a location in Silva, and you should stop by and see Dale, Bobby, and the shop dogs and the rest of the crew for all of your needs in that part of Western North Carolina. So, Kristen, I start all of my interviews out by asking uh, my interviewee to share their earliest fishing memory. Uh, looking back, it's, it was probably up in the mountains of Norway. That's where I'm from. Uh, uh, man, in the mid, early to mid-70s. Uh, trolling a fiberglass, a yellow fiberglass rod of some British manufacturer, uh, with a sinking line behind the rowboat on a lake in the mountains. So that was my first, uh, quote unquote fly fishing experience. Uh, so that wasn't much casting involved, but we troll the fly rods around because, you know, dad and uncles were all throwing flies. So we had to do the same. Absolutely. And, uh, so that was all your first experience and it was your first fly fishing experience. Um, and I know you live in Miami, Florida. When did you get the saltwater fly fishing bug? You know, I probably in the late eighties, I think just coming out of college, I went to visit one of my uh, school buddies in Venezuela and I went to Los Rocas and brought all my, uh, you know, quasi saltwater gear out there. And I remember there were pretty, you know, big learning curves on, on switching this to salt water. So that must've been like an 89 and Los Rocas for bonefish. I think I went home with one fish, uh, which isn't all that stellar. In those days, I probably should have caught like 30. <laughs> no, I understand. I tell you, it is a completely different game. I've done the bone fishing thing a few times and just about the time I think I've got it figured out, it's time to go home. That's right. But, you know, the advantage of saltwater really is that, that, you know, you can be bone fishing, but if you catch a puffer fish or a box fish, they'll still outrun any, any freshwater fish, you know, in, in, in two strokes of the tail. So, I mean, it's, it's still a lot of fun for the first timer who doesn't care what he catches. It's really, really great. That's outstanding. And, uh, who are some of your mentors as you started on your fly fishing journey? You know, I'd say, you know, I mean, it was mostly family because, you know, up until, you know, I lived in Europe till I was 19 or 18, 19 or 18 when I came to college here. And really there were four TV channels that we watched and, and, you know, there were state run channels and there wasn't much to see. There were some comics. I remember as a child that on Saturday nights from seven to eight and that was it. But, uh, you know, there were, there weren't really any tv shows or or stuff like that you know and i had like these uncles pseudo uncles uh that that came over to norway during the war and my grandma took him in and so there were all these hungarians that loved to go fish and they were i mean these guys were big uh catching killers so it was a lot of fun hanging out with those guys just catching stuff and eating stuff and you know so i really my mentors were were inside my family and I think I didn't really look at a mentor until I was, you know, started doing the saltwater things. And then, of course, Walker's Cake Chronicles comes on TV, and that's the end of it. Yeah, no, that was a great show. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 
And what was it like? I mean, you know, obviously, maybe some of our listeners don't know, but I mean, you really have a rich family tradition. I mean, you're the your family's the Mustad of Mustad Hooks. What was that like? You know, you talk about oh, I fished with my family, but that's got to be a pretty cool experience. I mean, because you know, your family was at ground zero for so many things fishing. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I know that uh, uh, you know in my early days, you know, earlier than I can remember. I know we fished some of the salmon rivers in Norway, but it was, you know, the kids were sent to the puddles, so we never caught much, but, you know, uh, you know, little you know, trout and stuff that were in the back eddies. Uh, you know, the salmon were for the, for the older people and that's what they did, but it was, you know, it was cool growing up. I lost my grandfather who was the, the president of the hook company when I was three. And actually I, I still have, you know, a couple of memories of him. Uh, and he was, you know, everybody tells me he was the greatest guy, the nicest guy. And I sort of regret not being able to fish with him. Um, but you know, that when we, when he passed away, they split up that whole company and, and, uh, you know, cousins took the fish hook and the other guy took the nails and the other guy took some properties. So, so it was split up into multiple groups, but, you know, I grew up my whole life sort of wanting to do something in, in, in the fishing world. Yeah, and so, that, but and that and that's the background, right? Yeah, and, and I know that Nautilus Reels is you know at least your second career because if I remember correctly, you were doing tech consulting uh, in the early two thousands when you had the opportunity to um, to acquire the company that became the platform for Nautilus. How did that all come about? Well, yeah, I would I'd, I'd set up a, so I studied tropical agriculture and I worked in agriculture until I got really sick of it because every time I wanted to. You know, I told, I'd tell the boss, Hey man, I want to, I'm good in the field. I want to go in the office and figure out how this company's run. And I would just get a raise every time. And, and it was like, Hey man, you know, I, I don't want to be in the field the whole time. You know, I've been doing this for five years now. I want to start figuring it out. And the guy that owned the sugarcane plantation I was on, he said, Hey man, I've got a cell phone company. Why don't you go do a program there where you spend three months in every department? And I did that for two years before I went to, to do a master's degree. And after my master's, I moved to Miami to do this dot-com thing that blew up uh, within months of arriving here. And then I set up my own little technology consulting firm, helping you know Scandinavian technology companies come to first Latin America and then the U.S. and Latin America. And then I got a, a partner in that sort of stalled everything and, and I sold out to him, but I had to serve out my time there. And the last week working for him, uh, I opened up the Miami Herald in the fishing section that I'd never knew existed. Uh, there was a little article on, on a fly reel company here in South Florida called Old Florida Fly Reels. And I read it and I was like, man, they had a bad day on the water because apparently this guy had taken uh, Susan Cocking, who was, who, was, uh, who was the reporter for the outdoor section, um, taking her fishing. And I guess they didn't have a good day, but he sounded like he was tired. So I called them up and I said, hey, man, you know, let's meet up. Actually, I sent him an email and I got an email back within 10 minutes and showed up. And that must have been sometime in November. And by May, we'd done the transaction. I partnered with this guy. And a year later, I completely bought him out. And but, you know, I mean, we we got into it and figured out real quick that if we didn't change things up very, very fast, we were going to go broke. So the question was, hey, we do we have it in us to, you know, change everything real fast, or should we just shut it down before we even start this game? And so, I, I, you know, it started. I think it was May twenty third in two thousand three, 
And in uh, September in Denver, we introduced the Nautilus CCF 8, 8, 10, and 12. So it was a quick, it was a quick one. And on the, at that show, we landed Kaufman Streamborn, which was arguably the biggest fly shop in the world at that time. And so that was a big coup for us. Very cool. And I know you mentioned that your, you know, undergraduate degree was in, in bot in some, in a botany related field. And I know you got an MBA, but where did the manufacturing expertise come from that made you comfortable to do what you're doing now with Nautilus Reels and make that jump? At Nautilus Reels, I'd never done any manufacturing. I always liked to tinker with stuff and build stuff. I always been mechanically inclined and always curious about it. I mean, I couldn't take a part of, uh, uh, I couldn't fix a motorbike if I had to. Uh, and, and, uh, but, but, you know, I can build stuff and it came pretty easy to design things. I mean, I had, I, I had, I had, it, I had set in my mind what I wanted, you know, the, the perfect saltwater reel to be. And, the, and I think that the biggest challenge was figuring out how to make a removable spool in a drawbar type reel. So if you look at like enable or Tibor or Seamaster or Finor you know, wedding cake, they're all draw bars, which means you're, there's a bar that goes through the spool to the back of the frame and you tighten it and it pulls the spool towards, it draws the spool towards the frame and there's a cork that's exposed against the back of that spool. That's draw bar. And the problem is that you've got that nail coming through there. And, you know, I, when I looked at it, I said, oh man, that's how we're going to do it. So I just almost cut out the core of the spool where the bearings were and and just put a threaded cap on the top of it. And then I just put like a spool that was in, indeed, a, it was just a capsule uh, uh, on, onto the whole mechanism. And then we closed it up from the back. But it was, uh, you know, the mechanics of, of, of this industry, I'm still learning. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And every time, uh, you know, we start a new reel, we discover new things that we can do. So That's very cool. And, you know, how did your family history kind of flow into your approach at Nautilus Reels? Well, you know, it's always, the, the whole family's always been about manufacturing. It was, I don't know what it is, but it's just, the, 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 you know, uh, being brought up in manufacturing. So we were never allowed to work for any of the family companies. That was like a big no-no. You have to go out in the street and, and learn your trade and, and fail on other people's dollar, right? And so, uh, you know, all we, we just watched from sidelines, you know, what was going on. And dad would talk to us about business and making this and making that and opening a factory here and closing another one there. So it was always there, but it was never hands-on for us. You know, I remember my first summer job, I was at a, at a, 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 a trout farm, or it's actually a salmon farm, landlocked salmon farm in, in Sweden. And it was terrible. I mean, we, you know, flipped over a forklift. It was me and my cousin. We went to work there, flipped over a forklift. We dumped uh, a tank full of fry that we had to get from the, from the inside tanks to the outside nets. And it was just a nightmare, but, but, and that was not manufacturing uh, per se. It was just hard work, but it was sort of, Hey, as close as I could get to the family business without stepping into it, you know, it was fishing and it was fish and it was fun. But, uh, I don't know the whole the whole family, uh, you know the, the flow into it is is pretty much a history thing where you have you've got this tradition people talk about it and and but never a hands on deal right it's always an aspiration. 
Very cool. And and to kind of back up to the beginning of Nautilus Reels, what did the landscape look like and what was it that you, you know, you saw as the opportunity in the reel space and fly fishing uh, that you wanted to seize on when you bought the company? Well, when I looked at it, I said, oh man, I can already picture that Nautilus private jet with the Nautilus paint on it and all that. And that was so cool because it was going to be so huge and so big and this industry is, you know, ripe for the taking. And then I got to work. <laughs> that's pretty much that's pretty much how it was. <laughs> Outstanding. So it was all about getting a G six, right? Uh, it was all about it, man. <laughs> all about it. So so kind of stepping back from that, um, yeah. you know, what was your vision for the brand? I mean, what did you want Nautilus? What did you want, and what do you want Nautilus Reels to stand for in the industry? I'll tell you, you know, I've been contemplating a lot about, you know. Uh, you know, one is the, the, the manufacturing side of things. And the other is all the other stuff we do, you know, the causes we support and all that. And I'm trying to find out the, you know, uh, I'm trying to roll into our purpose, the whole conservation aspect of things. But, but really I always fall back to why I started this, which is your question, which is I wanted to make the best fly reel out there. And that's really why we keep innovating because, you know, we make a reel, and like, like take, for example, the FWX. So we came out with the FW, the FW first, people loved the reel. Then we did the FWX, which they liked even better. And then we were so backed up with shipping. I said, man, we need to figure out a way to do this, you know, faster, make them faster at this price point. What can we do? And so I just, you know, I had the price point in mind and went to the drawing board and came up with the X reel. And I remember one guy telling me, uh, he goes, Hey man, you know, this real, why don't you just call it the NV and make it the new NV? Cause I think it's awesome. And I said, because I designed it for that price point, you know, it's better than anything out there. I think it's, it's, you know, everything in it's, you know, as downsized as you can be and as built as economically as it can be, but we don't skimp on the critical parts. You know, the one way clutches are still these hardcore Japanese ones uh, you know, the, the seals are still manufactured for us on these tiny little Swiss machines out of a super duper solution or a super duper compound. And, and, you know, that's most expensive for most other companies to do, but, you know, we, you know, cut costs on machining on, on, on the finishing parts of it. We just try to optimize the whole process so we can spend the money where it needs to be spent. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I know kind of doing research for this interview that you've been, you know, you do direct, you don't have middlemen, so you don't have that cost in your system. And you've really worked hard on just-in-time delivery, uh, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, so the whole just-in-time delivery part is is uh, uh, is forced upon us. I wish I could have, you know, inventory on the shelves, but I don't. And and it's it's sort of okay, hey, let's, you know, we could get another 10 machines here, double production. And, and, and I say, man, that's double the employees, double the headaches, double the maintenance on the machine, double the costs. I'm never going to make any money at this, you know, right now I'm comfortable and, and we're growing at a good rate. Um, but you know, we've had 10 machines here for four years and we still continue to grow because our output keeps growing. And, and the, the, the beauty of that is, you know, we're getting smarter about manufacturing these things. I mean, an FWX, uh, in the time it take, took me to put together an FWX, I can put together, you know, three X-reels. What does that say? It's like, hey, man, 
should we charge less for them? No, I can put together three X reels with much better components than I had in the X components that I didn't have back then components I couldn't afford back then. And, you know, we're, we're, we've got our eye on, on, on everything out there. I mean, I go to shot show, which is the firearms industry because they've got circular parts and they do cool machining. And I look at all that stuff. I go, you know, to, uh, expos. I mean, we've got some, some plastics we use in our reels that are incredible and, and they're not cheap. They cost more than having a bearing, but we've got bushings, you know, from the food industry. I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, who, who would think of that? And it's just, you know, we keep, keep looking for what we can use. We played with a, a coating, uh, you know, that didn't work out. And, and, but we played for, for four years before we made a firm decision. Hey man, it's not going to happen. And we worked with a coating manufacturer at, to essentially find out that, Hey man, you know, this is not going to work for us. Yet the military uses it on everything they do. And lo and behold, there's a competing real manufacturer that comes out with it and Hey, we know he's going to fail miserably and it's sort of sad to see, but at the same time, Hey, you know, we've, we've been playing with it four years and made the decision. We're not going to launch it because it's not there. You know, you thought you had the best idea ever. You launch it and it's going to bite you. Yeah, no, doing the legwork and the uh, background preparation is always a big, big deal. Um, in terms of, you know, who do you target your reels for in the fly fishing community? You know, I, I always say, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I always have talks about with fly shops is everybody was chasing the millionaire for the last, you know, 15 years or 20 years, the fly shops have been chasing the millionaire and that's really, really bad. The baby boomers are getting old and they're not getting out there anymore. And they skipped the generation. We weren't catering to the children of those guys. Yeah. I'm one of the kids from the baby boomers. Right. But not many of us, you know, we're out there and the guys that we try to build them for is the coming generation. Granted the older, you know, generation, the baby boomers are loving our reels because of how light they are and they're discovering it. And it's really, you know, it's an eye opener for them because they can cast their 10 weight now when, 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 you know, it was getting too heavy for them. And, and now suddenly with a lighter reel, everything seems to play out better. They can cast 12 weights now, you know, they don't have shoulder aches anymore after a day of fishing. And that's all. Cause you know, a lot of our reels weigh half of what a com- competitor's reel wear reels weigh. I mean, so, you know, who's my target today? Uh, you know, I take care of those guys. They pay a lot of my bills, but I have a strong belief in the younger generations, the millennials. They are not afraid to spend money. They're walking around with thousand dollar, you know, iPhones and Androids, and they always have the latest of everything. And when I see these kids, they can be, you know, just a, they can be your Brooks Brothers kid. They can be a skateboarder. They can be a, a dirt biker, a surfer. It's become cool to fly fish again. And these guys that are out there, you know, you know, riding waves or running tracks or hiking in the mountains or going hunting. Uh, they're also fly fishing. The general fishing population is looking at fly fishing as a cool thing to do. And, you know, the, the, it's almost like looking at golf. Golf used to be the snob sport. And suddenly the average, you know, blue collar guy could go play golf. And they did. And you're looking at these guys. I mean, God almighty, 20 years ago, you ask one of the target fly shop uh, clients, Hey man, 
do you think this guy that looks like a biker has got tattoos all over his body uh, would be a target fly fisherman? They would have laughed in your face. Well, guess what? They are. Yeah. They are a big part of our community now. They're the guys that people look up to. They're the guys tying all the radical flies. They're the guys pushing the boundaries. And granted, they're not going to get in a private jet and fly off to, to, to Midway to go fish for GTs. No, but these guys are jumping fences. They're saving money. They're doing these trips here and there. They're exploring boundaries. They're fishing. I mean, look, carp. We're fishing for carp now. You know? Nobody would have thought about that, but it's a fun sport and it's hard. It's a challenge. Guess who's doing it? All these kids and the older populations following them. Look at all the fly fishing movies. I mean, you know, who's watching these? It's the millennials. They love it. That's my target audience. That's very cool. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, looking at the, you know, I think a lot of that, you know, is tied to the improvements in manufacturing so that you can chase other species and also there've been some advantages for cost savings to get some of the tackle costs down has really kind of helped people chase all kinds of stuff on the fly now. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, Temple Fork sort of led the way on the, on the, on the low dollar fly rod. Uh, and I think it opened it up to a lot of people, but I'll tell you what, these millennials, when they go out to buy a reel, if they want a Nautilus reel, they're looking at the NV. And if they can afford the CCFX suit, that's what they're going to buy. They're not going to get the X. They want to go as high as they can. And the minute they've got room on a credit card to, to buy an NV, they're going to dump that CCFX too and jump on the NV because they want the top dog. And that's why they have those expensive phones. They're not afraid to spend the money and they're not spending dad's money. These kids are doing business. You've got 14 year olds buying and selling stuff all day long. In our day, we didn't do that. It was the odd man out that did that. This generation, I mean, these guys are, they're hustlers. They're working every day. Yeah, I had a paper route and I cut grass. That was what I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These kids, they would never do that. Yeah, no, I have those discussions with my boys too. Uh, so can you share the story behind uh, your motto of tested on animals, how that came about? So a good friend of mine uh, used to be married to another friend of mine. Uh, that's how we became friends. He, um, out of New York city, his name is Chris route. He's got, uh, he has a little marketing company that he runs a little, I say little cause you know, he's the brains behind it, but it's not little, but anyway, he runs this marketing company and he likes to fly fish and we fish together. And he, he I call him up one day and, say, and you know, we're talking business. He's all excited that I'm doing this thing. And I mean, it was years and years ago. I don't remember when it was that, that we, we got the trademark for this, but he came out, he said, man, why don't you say tested on animals? We were sort of looking for a slogan and, and I talked to him about it and he called me up. He said, man, why don't you do tested on animals? And I said, oh, dude, that is way hardcore. We can't do that. <laughs> and so that thing just got discarded. And I don't know if it was six months or a year later. We said, you know what? Screw it. Let's run with tested on animals. It's like, yeah, cool, cool. Okay. But hey, who came up with that? Can you remember who came up with that? It's like, no, because we called every friend of ours. So we're like, man, we can't remember who came up with that thing. Well, let's try to trademark it and we'll run with it. So we started a whole tested on animals deal. I asked a designer buddy uh, uh, to come up with a stamp because I wanted to stamp like almost like the cargo container. I was thinking of men at work that, you know, the, 
the record back then because it wasn't even a CD that had this, it was called Cargo and there was a wooden box on a beach and there was a big stamp on the side that said Cargo. And that's how I wanted it to be, just like a stamp tested on animals, like a washed out thing. And that's what we came up with. And that's really that tested on animals slogan and logo. The trademark got approved. I couldn't believe that it got approved, but it got approved. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And and what amazes me today is that after so many years, and it must be more than 10 years, maybe 12 even, that, that this thing got launched, people are still discovering it. I'm like, man, that's how underexposed everything is in this market, you know? Maybe I'm not marketing it well enough, but at the same time, I haven't had any complaints from PETA. So I'm happy. <laughs> there you go. Uh, in the early days in Nautilus Reels, can you share some of your biggest uh, or most unexpected challenges as you took the reins in the early 2000s? Man, it was... Uh... You know, the previous owner had burned so many bridges. I remember making my first sales calls and just people just shutting me down everywhere. I thought we had a hundred accounts and we had three. So I think that was the biggest challenge for us was, Hey man, let's not lose spirit here and let's just keep plowing forward and try to work this out. And it, and it, and it did, you know I mean? We hired our first sales rep probably in 2004 or five. So a year in. And that was in the Northeast, a man by the name of Don Brown. And, and you know, everything started going uphill from there very, very slowly, you know, very slowly. I mean, I always say, you know, if you're going to start a business, I tell all my friends and all the younger guys that ask me about starting a business, I say, think about it real hard. It's not going to be easy. It's a lot of fun, but it's a real challenge. And, and if you're not, if you can't handle pressure, uh, you're not ready to be an entrepreneur because, you know, it's going to take, you know, five times the amount of cash you thought it would and, and, and five times the amount of time you thought it would before you start actually working it out. If you do, yeah. you know, it, and you are the company, right? So there's, you know, you're always on. You're always on at all times. I mean, nowadays I sort of, uh, well, I always say I stop, but at 6 p.m. I stop checking emails, which I never do. I, I, I check them all the time. I hold off on answering them until the next day, usually just because I want to have a little bit of family time. But I, but I mean, the first eight years, it was nonstop. You know, it's 24-7 work. You come home on Friday and on Monday there's payroll and there's no money in the bank and you between Friday and Monday morning, there's nothing you can do, but hope for the best. Monday morning shows up and you hustle and you make payroll. And that's the way it is, but you got to be able to sleep and rest it off. And, and that takes a different stomach. You know, not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And I know you, you just, you wanted when you started Nautilus to build the best reels in the space. Can you share with my listeners kind of what distinguishes your reels from other reels that are, um, in the fly fishing space? You know, we had an ad that ran and we're actually going to put up a, a, a link on our website with all our past ads. I'm working on it now. And the ad ran, uh, it said, we start with this and there's a photograph of, pure bar stock and then underneath is a picture of our reel and it says our competitors start with this and that's pretty much where we're at i think we're at the forefront of real technology and everybody else is catching on i mean i remember 
one of the big boys saying there's no such thing as a sealed reel. I mean, I don't know anybody that's trying to push something that's not sealed these days, whether they are or not, you know, and, and like the red brake, I always wanted to have the Brembo brakes of fly fishing. And, and that's why we painted the back of the brake pad on the NVs or on the CCFs red. And it stood out. I don't think you can find a reel that's not available with a red drag these days. They all started doing them. So, I, so people are following. I think uh, from from a standpoint of you know break, uh, you know we didn't start using carbon fiber. Uh, other people were using it before us, but we made it mainstream. We made carbon fiber acceptable in the big game market because it really wasn't. Other than Charlton reels, uh, you know nobody was using carbon fiber in uh, in the for big game fishing. And that's why we came out with the CCFX, uh, the CCF drag, which is a carbon fiber drag. And it was, hey, you know, we can't just make a carbon fiber reel, uh, you know, or carbon fiber drag. We need to have cork in there because every big game fly fisherman uses cork because that's what you need. And cork was used in the 50s in, in the automotive industry, and it was supplanted by carbon fiber. And here we are still using it in, in the 90s uh, uh, and in the 2000s in fly fishing reels as a brake surface, you know, it was using the clutches and it's like, Hey guys, let's move on. Other people are using it, but nobody's accepted it. So we said, Hey, let's put a sliver of cork and say there's cork in there. And yes, it serves a purpose. It dampens vibrations. It, it, it doesn't transfer the heat that's generated, uh, which is an important part, but, uh, I could do that with a, with a resin, you know, the, the glue that, that bakes all the parts together does that for me as well. So, uh, you know, but we put it in there because we wanted to convince the guy, hey, man, it's got cork. It should be OK. Try something new. Now everybody's pretty much using it. Everybody that wants to spend the money on it because it's not cheap. Got it. And, and talk a little bit about your design philosophy and process and kind of how you iterate your your rod designs. I mean, your real designs. So so it usually starts uh it, it, you know, we, we, when I started this, I said, okay, you know what? People are buying a new car every three to five years that costs 20 to 30,000 bucks on average, right? If you look around yourself and you say, okay, how, how often do people buy a fly reel? They didn't. It was one or two in a lifetime per line weight or whatever, per, per size of rod, really, right? So you had a trout reel and, and maybe a couple of saltwater reels. But you have those for life, and they last a lifetime. So we said, man, people are swapping cars every five years. Let's make people swap reels every five years. So we decided that we were going to launch a new product every year. And new product meant it could be a new size or a new line. So we started with a CCF, which was targeted at the mid-price range in the big game, uh, you know, $400 range. And it's still in the $400 range, you know, 16 years later. Um to, to get the masses on it. Then we came out with a higher end and then we came out with a lower end, which was the three lines that we still have. Nowadays, it's the X, the CCFX2 and the NV. But it's always about, you know, hey, uh, you know, how old is the NV? How old is the CCF? Can we add another one? Uh, you know, where do we go from here? And if the decision is made to, to bring in a new reel, whether it's a new size or what, if it's a new size, it's real simple. Cause you can just say, okay, man, let's move this up to five inch, test it out and see if that works. 
And lo and behold, it did work. We never thought it would work on a four and a half inch, you know, because our 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 CCF uh, system, because uh, it was we thought we'd get a lot of you know torque on it, but it worked out fine. And but then if you come out with a whole new line, uh, you know, it's like I told everybody, you know, the reels we try to keep keep them similar in design so we don't lose that look. Okay, on this in the case of the X. I wanted to change the look. I wanted to bring in a new design and it's working for us, but, but it still has a lot from the FWX and the, the screw cap on the, on the spool is the same exact size as the one on the FWX. The cover on the brake is identical to the one on the FWX, but everything inside is totally new. So when we start with a new reel, we really build it from scratch. It's not just a cosmetic. Oh, look at this. Look at this. We have, I mean, I've, there are real companies out there that have had the same breaks the same internals for the last 25 years and they're coming out with new spool design and new frame design what good does that do you right you're not taking advantage of the new technology so i mean typically the process starts with me scribbling at my desk or you know somebody like jesus coming in and saying hey Kristen, man what if we did this and i usually just shut him down because we've tried all that before but he's been around long enough that he knows when he's going to get shut down and when not but we'll sit down look at it and then I start drawing and I scribble it out by hand, usually to size. And, and then I hand it over to Jesus and he puts it in CAD. And then we go out to the, you know, manufacturing floor. And typically by the time we're done with it, we, we know if it's going to work or not. And we'll, you know, like the bigger handles that came in because our guide said, man, we need bigger handles. We need bigger handles. Some people want a flat one. Some people want a small one, but you know, it all, you, you, you listen. And, and like we take notes on every reel that comes in for service. We look at wear and tear uh, just to address all those issues when we're designing a new reel. Very cool. I mean, just think about if it just, if you, a small one is the real foot, it's got two holes on each side of the screw holes. Those holes are designed so that if you drop your reel on the floor hard enough, the real foot will bend just before the frame bends. So, I mean, those things, you don't really think about those things. When that thing was solid, we would get reels in that had bent frames from falling. So you could either beef up the frame or put a failure spot in there in the real foot. A real foot is, you know, 25 bucks, easy to replace. You can bend it back with a plier. If you're caught in a pinch, it's going to look like crap, but it's going to work. But if your frame is bent, you know, you're done. Yeah. You're in a world of pain. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that's amazing. How do you keep that kind of velocity? I mean, that's a, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put yourself and your team under. I mean, how do you do that year after year? Well, you know what we, for many years now, uh, we've skipped years on introducing new stuff just because we have a hard time keeping up with what we have. So typically now when we introduce new stuff, it'll be a one-off reel. It'll be one size up in something. Uh, but if we do introduce a brand new line, we're wiping out a, a one and we're putting in a new one. We're not going to come out with a fourth line just because we can't keep up with production right now. And, 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 and if we do launch a new line, it's to replace one that we found a way to make, you know, that real better. And that's pretty much what happened with the FWX. We figured out a way to make the real a lot better, a lot faster. And hey, for at that price point, and it's like, hey, yeah, I could charge a lot more for it. But at the same time, it's like, man, if I charge more for it, I'm opening up a whole new 
hole because I'm still going to have to make the other one that costs less. I don't have time to make that one. I need to replace it so we can make more money, more reels, satisfy more consumers. And that's the bottom line. So I replaced the cheapest reel with something that should cost a lot more money. Very, very cool. What would surprise the average fly fishing consumer the most about Nautilus reels, do you think? I think that, uh, you know, people think about us and, and, and all the stuff that we, that we manufacture here and they think CNC machines and they think they probably think robots and stuff, grabbing stuff and, and, and machines going into baths and, and lasers and coming out. And then a whole bunch of people lined up in a long, long line, assembling stuff. We've got 15 employees here out of the 15 employees, 14 touch every reel that goes out the door. So the whole component of high tech machining and automated machining. Yeah. There's a lot of automated stuff, but in the end, the bulk of it is by hand. They have to inspect every part. They deburr things by hand. They put them into machines. They take them out. It, there's an inspection after every step in the process. And, and to the point where, you know, we did a photo shoot here for an ad campaign about, Hey man, this is, you know, it's handmade. You know, we did a photo shoot with, with, with our shop employees on the back of the catalog now, but we also took pictures of the hands because I want to come up with an ad just sort of illustrating, hey, man, look, this guy's doing this part. This guy's doing that part. You know, this is a lot of handwork, and we take pride in that, you know, and it's done here in the U.S. This is not some Far East, you know, assembly line that's making, you know, uh, bone implants one day and fly reels the next. No. This is fly reels. We do nothing else. We make Nautilus fly reels in the shop. So I think that's it. You know, 14 out of 15 people touch every reel. That's pretty amazing. I, I, I would have never known that if you hadn't shared that with me. You know, we talked about the long slog starting out as an entrepreneur. Uh, when, when did you know that you were going to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish with Nautilus reels? Day one. My first day. I knew I was going to accomplish it and I never put my, my, I never really, you know, let my head fall down. It was always up and 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 push and push and push. And man, we had some extremely tough times, times where you don't know if you're going to make it, but you just keep pushing. And I think if you don't think you're going to make it at, 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 at some point and actually start believing that you're not going to make it, you won't. So I, you know, yeah, you know, now I know I've made it, but, but Hey, you know what? I don't think I'm at the top of the game. I think I'll get to the top of the game, but there's only one way to go from the top. And that's, that's what keeps you sharp is you don't want to go back to those early days when it was a struggle. Yeah. And things, and, yeah, and go ahead. Sorry. That's, that's just what keeps you pushing every day. And that's what keeps me trying to improve everything every day. I mean, we're, we're, we're out of the machine shop every day cutting seconds out of this, cutting minutes out of that, finding a way to, you know, a tool bit that's going to do things faster, a program that's going to do things faster. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it never stops. Rust never sleeps. Yeah. I mean, and you know, business just keeps getting nimbler and nimbler with technology. And so, I mean, you, yeah. you just have to keep running, right? Well, I tell you one of, one of the big challenges for us today is, is, is technology. It's like, one, you're going to watch out that you don't get hacked. 
because if my computers go down, uh, you know, or if the network goes down, my phones go down, everything goes down. It's, it's terrible because everything's affected by the same thing these days. And, uh, you know, social media is huge. You know, what are you doing social media? It's, it's so challenging for us. You know, we've hired an outside company to do it for us and, and they're doing a great job. But but it's a it's it's a daily struggle just to keep up with what's around us. I mean, look at we've got some major manufacturers now selling on Amazon. It's like, man, what are you guys thinking? I realize your investors want you to, you know, make more money, sell more. You got to always show growing numbers. But at what cost are you going to put the fly shops out of business? You're competing with the guys that made you who you are. And I realize it, it's at the end of the road. That's probably the road that most guys are going to take. But our industry is so peculiar. If we don't have the specialty fly shop, the industry dies. It's going to stop growing. It's barely growing as it is now. And it's just started to grow again. If, if we cut out our, our specialty fly shop, we are done. There's no way around it. And these guys made us. They made us. And we try to help them out as much as we can as they help us out when they can. Yeah, I, I always tell people to support the local shops because, you know, that information that they share, um, you know, it's huge. it's huge. And particularly, too, like, you know, you and I are about the same age. So we learned from grandparents and uncles and and fathers. But, you know, now with the internet, there's, there's that generational transmission of knowledge is getting harder and harder. And where do you go to know that you can get good advice? Yeah. So, and I know that it's important to Nautilus to give back. I know you're involved with Bristol Bay, you know, captains for clean water and Indy fly, you know, what drives that desire and what are you doing for each of those uh, causes? You know, so, 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 you know, Br Bristol Bay is one that really, it, it's, it's the one that, that I'm always in awe of because and we started that, I think right out of the gate, pretty much. We started finding that mine. I don't know when it started, but it, it seems like I started day one and it's just never stopped. It's like a cancer. I mean, it comes back. It's that, it's that bad weed in your lawn that never goes, no matter how many of them you pull, they come back. And man, I remember celebrating, you know, five or six times that we beat the pebble mine guys. And the minute we sit down and go, man, that was a good beer. You know, let's look for another fight. They pop back up. And you're like, are you kidding me, man? How is this happening? How is this happening to us? You know, you keep beating down this thing that's going to destroy a whole ecosystem. And it's like, if we let this one go, forget about everything else. You know, we have to put a stop to it. You know, I, I applaud the guys that are getting dams torn down. I mean, this is incredible. It's incredible that it's happening, you know, but I bet you there's other guys applying for, you know, for, you know projects to build new ones. It's just like, gosh, we need to stop this somewhere. And, and, you know, same with captains for clean water, you know, captains for clean water and pebble mine are very, very, very similar. Uh, it's, it's about the environment. Indie fly is about, you know, minority communities, uh, remote communities, isolated communities, and educating them and educating them on the environment and being stewards for the environment through fly fishing, fishing, guiding, hosting. And it's really, a, a, you know, I think it's still very in its infancy. 
they've done some amazing projects. Most people have seen the ones in in uh, the Jungle Fish film that Costa did, uh, you know, in Diana uh, for the Arpaima. I mean, that's a huge success story where everybody used to kill these big fish, and and now they're you know they had a drought a few years ago, and they ferried the 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 fish over dry land in water filled dugout canoes into lagoons that still had water in it to save them because they realized how much money. They were what a resource they were, and they're saving a species doing that, which is amazing. And so, you know, every time we find them, there are a lot of other things that we support. You know, we do a lot for for a, a tournament here that that a, a big log, uh, or actually two brothers uh, who are lawyers here in town started. It's called the Kimurata, and it's for Crohn's and colitis. And it's just you know we befriended early on, support them early on, and we still do. You know, we support some schools here. We do fundraisers for a variety of different things. The Herman Lucerne tournament, other tournaments we sponsor. But everything is oriented at, you know, either conservation or helping people out. And it's just, you know, this is a, a, a something that's where I come from in Europe. Philanthropy is a rare thing. It, it, it's happening. It's the, 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 you know, the uber wealthy that do it. Uh, on a scale that they do it in the U.S. is unseen in the rest of the world. You know, people donating a good part of their income to charity is is was to me when I got here, and it's something I embrace today. You know, to think that you're, you know, you you send your kid to college, and college asks you for money to donate the money, and people do it. You're like, holy crap! You you know, you're dropping sixty grand to put your three a kid through college. And you're donating, you know, another two or three grand to the college. You're like, what are you doing? You already spent 60. But it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's what you do. It's what you do. And so, I mean, I, I applaud that. That's a, you know, it's a very American thing. And, and I applaud it. And, and I embrace it. Well, that's that's very cool, and I know you've you know we're kind of at the end of show season now, uh, towards the end of March. If uh, if folks didn't have a chance to run into you at one of the shows, why don't you share with them what they can expect from Nautilus in 2019? Yeah, uh, I mean, shortly what we're launching now is a is a a custom reel builder, uh, so the guys can go online and and build their custom reel. You know, what's amazing is is last year, 35% of our reels shipped with a custom component on them, whether it's a custom engraving or custom colored parts. And and people love mix and matching. And, and, and I mean, we've been trying to get this, this reel builder off the ground for a while. It's really complex. You have all these different layers. You have to photograph every single part because we didn't want to just Photoshop in a color and make like a, a sketch like others may have. We did everything in detail, but... You know, if you, you know, you look at this, I mean, the, the, sometimes we'll have a fly shop that'll call and say, Hey, I got a customer in here. He thinks he wants a golden purple reel. Uh, is it okay if he comes by to check that out and maybe some other options? It's like, okay, what reel is it? The guy shows up and we take out the gold reel and the purple parts. And he goes, well, can I see the blue parts? Can I see some other color parts? So we bring out all the color parts. And after an hour, you walk by and this, the, the, the person's still standing and looking at the table like deer and headlights, like, what are we doing here? And, and he'll spend another two hours, you know, trying different parts. And then he comes over to you and goes, Hey, I wish I'd never done this because now I don't know what I want. It's crazy. <laughs> so, so this for 2019, I think this toy, because it really is a toy and, and tool 
is is going to be online. I think you know within the next month or so. And as far as new reels go, uh, nothing's really in the pipeline yet. Uh, but uh, hey, you never know. We usually get to work, you know, a couple months before the show. So uh, we'll find out. This year the show's in Denver in, in October, so we still have a lot of time. There you go. And where can uh, where can folks find for more information about you, Kristen? Uh, they can find it on our website, NautilusReels.com, or any of our pro shops. If they go online, they could, you know, I welcome to walk into a pro shop and ask them to see the reels. And most of them know what we're all about. And they can show you a whole bunch of little crazy stuff about these reels. And we're going to put up some more videos online. We're going to start a more interactive uh, uh, section on the website. Maybe some live streams going through like real models, part of the assembly process, part of the manufacturing process, just to share that with viewers. That's super cool. Well, Chris and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you, Marvin. And thanks, uh, you know, for everything you do with the Articulated Ply. And uh, thanks to your sponsors as well. Oh, no, absolutely. I really appreciate it. And folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really appreciate it if you'd give me a review in iTunes. And it would really help us out with our advertisers if you would subscribe to the podcast in the podcatcher of your choice. Tightlines, everybody. Thank you, Tightline. Thank you, Tightline.